And this week I am with F1. Hello. Shawnee. Hello. And making it a terms of podcast is Jawsy. Hello. Yes. So where do you guys want to start this week? F1 season review, obviously. Sebastian Vettel ran away with the season, won the title, two races in hand? Many races in hand. Well, yeah, but not, didn't technically seal it, did he? He did see. He sell, did he not seal it at about four races ago. No. I thought he so. Oh, I thought he sealed it at like uh, the one before. Yeah, it was, it was. But he basically had it about two or three races before it anyway. So. Yeah, it was almost mathematically impossible for everyone else to getting on it. That's not be pedantic, like. Yeah, there it is. So yeah, Sebastian Vettel ran away with the season once again. Is he your driver of this season, or do you have somewhere else? Can't he, be anybody he, else, really, can us? He's ahead by he 120 points. He isn't mine, either. No. I'd, I'd suggest Button. Why? See, this is the thing. Um, a lot of people say Button had a driver season because he was able to win. He won a couple of races. He won three races because he out and he did it. And consistently, he was better than his teammate. He almost outperformed the car. I think he surprised a lot of people and was better than what people thought he was. He did. He, he outscored everyone else in the second half of the season. He was the highest scoring driver in the second half of the season. And had he not retired in, I think it was Silverstone, because his wheel fell off or something. And um, there was another race where he had a DNF, not through his fault as well. Had he not retired that, then it could have been another 50 points on the board. Could have been a much closer title race. Yeah, but then it would have been a, a further 34 for Vettel, so it wouldn't have gotten him any closer. He's 122 points behind. Well, if, if it not had, had happened... If that had happened, then that would have changed the whole aspect of the, the season. The problem was Vettel. Well, you know, look at Weber's season. Weber got luck, and he drove a great season. Anyway, like you can talk all you want about outperforming your teammates, but like Vettel's outperformed everybody by 120 points. But who is it? Okay, can huge. Say, can we just say who's everyone's driver this season is? Obviously, F1's is Vettel. Uh, Shawnee, yours is Button. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with Button. And. Um, uh, Jawsy, what's yours? Uh, mine's Button as well, yes. See, mine's uh, Fernando Alonso. Really? Hey! Why? How have you worked that one out? Didn't do much, but the thing no, was... No, he did nothing. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't get much, but you have to say that his car wasn't great at all, but considering... Oh, what are you basing that on? Because Massa was horrendous in this, but Massa is a horrendous driver. He consistently outperformed his car. He made it a lot uh, more competitive than it was. I, I I debate that. I reckon any of the top five drivers have done the exact same. Like Massa is has been horrendous this season. I think I think we can all agree on that. He's been terrible since he's come back from injury. So I don't think he actually is outperforming the car. I think he's got an inept teammate beside him, who's ba- they put all their eggs in one basket and they're not focusing on Massa at all, which is the reason he's so far ahead of his teammates. Yeah, but Alonso still did a lot for his team and a lot for himself because his his car was ridiculously... It was slower than the other two, but he still managed to make himself competitive. Whereas someone like Mark Webber, for example, had a much faster car. Was He's the, he's the number two driver on the number one team in F1. And he 
I don't think he even challenged Sebastian Vettel all season. He picked up his one lone win, which was at the last Grand Prix uh, in Brazil last weekend, and that was only because Sebastian Vettel had a a gearbox problem. I use air quotes on that Chal- because it was just Silverstone. Silverstone. One race. What? Silverstone was the race where he was told by a uh, Red Bull to man- or maintain the gap. Or like, we were given team orders to hold station. Which is fair enough. Yes, fair like, enough. You know, when you had two drivers crashing into each other at that point of the, get- of the Grand Prix, with yeah, the number two driver in the championship out. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I'm just saying that... It's obvious that they favoured. See, I think Webber's had a pretty good season. I agree with what he said on, uh, on the BBC site, that he's had a good season. But the results just haven't gone his way. The number... He's been on the podium all the time. He's been up there fighting with the top five drivers, as the top five drivers, all season. But he, he did he, finish third. I mean, he's not... He's yeah. not been horrendous. The problem is, is that he wears his... He wears his tyres harder than the hardest of the five to wear to wear down his tyres, so it always compromises his pitch strategy. So sometimes, you know, same kind of with Hamilton, he's not really adjusted to the new rules very well, which is why they've both had not necessarily. Again, I wouldn't really say they've had bad seasons. Hamilton, yeah, maybe. I would say Hamilton's had a bad season. He actually won three races. He won the same number of races as uh, Button. But yeah. how many times did he crash in in yeah. the same period had, as Button? He had no consistency. He had he had highs, but he had many many lows. He's yeah. had he's had opposite ends of the spectrum, whereas Button has not had the negative much. What I'd say is Sebastian Vettel this season was like the best of both both of them, uh, best of both McLaren drivers. He had uh, Button's consistency and his uh, preserved his tyres a lot better, where uh, but he had Hamilton's raw speed and talent, and that's why he won. Cause he was. Those McLaren, if they if you put them together and they were one driver, then they would challenge Vettel all the time. But it's just because, um, well, sorry, Vettel all the time. But Vettel was just is just better than the both of them. They both have the weaknesses, and Vettel has, or seemingly has none. And that you're still going to give driver of the season to Alonso. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, but I mean, this has been a debate going on on another website. I go to. Um, I'll just name drop it. Say Patrick. The forum on there. They have a lot of F1 uh, posts on there, and they and they just showed things to me about Alonso, like how quicker he was than his teammate, how much he was better than the car. Okay, Ferrari do prefer him over Massa as a number one driver, but still he he did a lot more to fight the car and showed just how good of a driver he actually is. But it's yeah, the same but, as trying to compare Michael Schumacher and Barry Kello. It doesn't, it doesn't work. You can't just say because Alonso was better than Massa, therefore he was the best driver of the season. No, but I'm saying he, was, he, he got more out of the car. How many times did you, would you see Alonso do a lot better than, say, Hamilton and Weber, but just not receive the press for it? Not that often this season. He, he was better. He was better than the both of them. He always seems to be there to pick up the pieces of whenever the usual mishap with Hamilton or Webber. I would the problem the problem for Alonso is that the Ferrari was absolutely useless on hard tires this season. So he could always he could always have good race pace in the first half of it, 
But then the whole thing just fell away. The Ferrari was not a quick car this year. It was the third fastest car by some distance. But I mean, the thing I, the thing I see going against Alonso is, I mean, he's outperformed his teammates by 140 points. But so was Vettel, and Vettel's teammates finished third in the Drivers' Championship, whereas Felipe Massa was nearly two hundred point over two hundred points off the pace. But the thing is, you say that Ferrari were the third fastest car all season by a mile. That's debatable. I, I agree with that. Yeah, that was a fair point. He still finished above Hamilton, and he was only a point behind Weber. And how many times Hamilton, Hamilton not finish? Weber. Hamilton had a terrible season, so the comparison doesn't really mean that much. Hamilton had a bad season, he just didn't finish a race. Exactly, so it was a terrible season. A bad season. That's exactly what constitutes a bad season, this is all reliability issues, which he hasn't had. Yes. Face it, you're not winning this one. No, it's not, you can't not win it, it's opinion. I think Fernando Alonso was one of the best drivers on the track this year. He didn't get, he didn't get his victories, but he still was very competitive in an uncompetitive car. But how about this one? Make him, that makes him a good driver. That makes him the top one of the top five drivers. Understandably so. But it's not making the best driver because Ferrari do differently from Red Bull and McLaren. They put all their eggs. They put their eggs in one basket. They put all the emphasis. Massa has spent all the set. Massa has spent almost the second half of the season developing the next year's car. All is it's only Alonso who's had all the sort of big fancy updates for this season. So that's, I mean, it's not really the full reason why Massa has been so slow, but, you know, that's my point, is that um, they, put, they put all their effort into Alonso. So of course Alonso is going to be up at the same pace as the rest of them, as opposed to McLaren and Red Bull, who spread their resources everywhere. I just wonder what happened to Renault for the first two races of the season. Oh, they fell away a bit, didn't they, actually? Yeah, they, Petrov in, Petrov in Australia, and then Heidfeld in Malaysia, and then they... Struggled, did they get beaten by Force India? Other teams caught up. We've seen it. We've seen it a few times. We saw it, especially with a um, BMW about 2008, the year Kubica won a race for them. Yeah. yeah. They good car at the start of the season, and, and in the middle part, they sort of updates sort of slowed, and it allowed the bigger teams and the other teams with a little bit more money to sort of catch up. And the lack of updates is really probably what ended, um, which meant they were going round in about 15th and 17th. Really. But here, here's an interesting for, one for you. Driver of the season, who wasn't in the top uh, three teams. How just Paul De Resto. How? Or Sutter. For De teammates the whole huh? time. De Resto was cons- consistently beaten by his teammates in the second half of the season. But he's a rookie. He's in his first well, year. I, just, you, you I, just really like I don't think he was consistently beaten. I think he outqualified Sutter, didn't he? On he, he also he also finished on half the points. Yes, but I would expect another rookie. I would expect a senior driver. Well, no, but yeah, but he can't be the best driver then if he hasn't beaten by his teammates. He was 15 points back on Adrian Suttle. Which isn't which is a good bit when Adrian Suttle's only scored 42. For a rookie, his speed was good, and he looked he was always entertaining. He was he looked one of the better drivers in the mid pack. Obviously. So Till's got that experience in a couple of seasons. Paul DeResto had that experience, and I think he'll definitely be pushing for a bigger place up the field. Okay. Oh, look look at the best drivers who've um, who've had recently. Like they've all always beaten teammate in the first season. Obviously, Sutil's probably better than most of the drivers they had had to race against in the first season. But I don't think when you're you're considerable margin behind your teammates, you can be considered the best driver um, in the mid mid pack. 
I still want to know why Nick Hudford was dropped from Renault as well. I think they wanted to give Senna a run, basically. Or I think what happened, yeah, they gave Senna a run, but Nick Hudford was getting them points. I, I, it was in Hungary, I know what happened. It was in Hungary, and uh, they, Heidfeld did the first, ter- the first practice session, and then Senna did the second practice session and went faster. And they, they just, and that well, happened for a couple of other races before that, and then they made the decision that, okay, we'll put Senna in the car, because he's obviously got more race, go pace. Of course you'd go faster in the second practice session, though, but a track like Hungary that's used once a year, the, the track on the first practice session would be really green and really sort of slow, there'd be like really no grip. And Senna gets the second practice session when the track's a little bit more rubbered in, you'd almost you expect him to be faster. In fact, you'd be a bit worried if he went slower than him. I think that's just Renault wanting a new a newer driver. Yeah, that's, that's just because they've got all that. They've got what like three or four young drivers. Yeah, I mean, Heidfeld's not going to bring in sponsorship. Where a man with the name of Senna is it will. Like Heidfeld isn't going to be a man to attract and sponsors. Whereas a man with the name of Senna is always yeah. going to have sponsorship appeal behind him. Yeah, but he didn't have... It wasn't like he had a bad... He wasn't, like, getting the points. I mean, he was there for half a season, and he still outdid over half the field of drivers who came in. He was three points behind his team, uh, behind Vitaly Petrov, who raced the entire season. And if... I think if he'd raced the entire season, possibly he could have finished... Ahead of Adrian Sutil and basically at the top of the midfield because there's the gap between the top top uh, three teams uh, to Mercedes is quite big and then there's a, a bigger gap towards Mercedes and then the rest of the field. Though, do you think that Heidfeld will make a comeback in future? No, no, because no. he's done. And that's unanimous around everybody at the moment. Unless, unless he does a Della Rosa and joins HRT or something. Oh, like I would have. I would have loved to have seen. I would love to see him back. Uh, I think I, I really like his, his driving, but unfortunately, he's 34. There are a lot of young drivers, and there are not enough places at the moment. For the Man and Dad will probably find great success in touring cars. Like David Coulthard still racing in the DTM. Yeah. And you'll find you'll, like and so you'll, we'll probably find him there. Give it, I say, give it a year, maybe not next season. But we'll probably find him in the German touring, touring cars or some other kind of social racing. Race. He just won't be. He'll continue to race, he just won't be... I don't think he'll be in F1. No. agree with you on that one. It's an interesting, it's an interesting situation on Renault right now. Or Team Lotus, as I'll be known for next year. Yeah. They've got... Kimi. They've got four drivers, and they've just brought back Kimi. Yeah. Great decision. Yes, yeah, brilliant. I, I, did, I must admit, I didn't expect Renault. I wouldn't have... I would, or Lotus, or whatever they call it. I wouldn't have called that. I would have thought Kimi would have gone to Williams, yeah. Yeah. Wasn't he rumoured to join them? The outgoing. Yeah, Williams. Sorry? Wasn't, wasn't like an, um, um, like I think it was sometime through last year, um, Raikkonen was rumoured to return to the team, and I could have sworn it was Renault again. Well, they haven't linked with him before. It's just because they've got, well, they've, they've got enough talent as it is. They've got Vitaly Petrov uh, and Bruno Senna racing at the moment. And then they have Roman Grosjean and... Who else is it? Roman Grosjean. And I think they have another young driver who could possibly come... Kubica as well. Oh, yeah. Sorry, that was it. Yeah, Kubica, who's out of injury. He's not going to be back to the start of 2012, but they still have four decent-looking... Uh, well, in Kubica's case, a lot of people 
we've yet to see what happens after he comes back from his, uh, from his injury, but he was always a possible future world champion if he went to a bigger team like Ferrari. But they got Petro. They, they, they got Bruno Senna, but they haven't got. And then just brought back Kimi Reich. Well, I think it's a great move because, I mean, if you look at. Uh, McLaren's always gone on about how great he was for technical analysis, even if you don't really see it from his interviews. And he's a man, like, if you look at 2003 and 2005, he could be a triple world champion at this stage of time of reliability from the McLarens in that, at that time. So he's got the experience, he's got the, t- he, he's, he'll help the team, and he, um, he definitely has the ability to go quick. Oh, he, he definitely has the finances, he has the technical insight, he has the history, he has the talent and everything. He has, he's a full package, but, why Renault? I mean, well, Renault, Renault, yeah, they, they, oh, Team Lotus, sorry. It'll be good for them, yes, but they've got... They are the next highest team. I mean, the top four teams are all pretty locked out at the moment. You can't get in. But I don't know. give him two look. years as a Renault uh, before he uh, takes uh, Weber's seat at Red Bull. No. It's my think, personal uh, prediction. I think they replace someone else with Weber. Weber, sorry. I'd like it to be Al Jusrari, but I reckon they'll replace him with Ricciardo. Yes. I, I really, I really couldn't call it the Toro Rosso because I mean, that's what you would have thought. His first half of the season, Al Jusrari looked like on his way out, and he's he's been a much better driver than Buemi the second half of the season all the way through. He rose this to is the what, um, This is what uh, Helmut Marco, the uh, Doctor Helmut Marco, he runs a little. Um, he runs, he tests, like, the, the young drivers part of Red Bull, sorry, the Red Bull's young driver. He said that, so far, he's not seen enough from Aguishwari, Buemi, D'Ambrosio, or Riccardia uh, to see them as a replacement for Mark Webber. Or even, even uh, Vergne, the, the, French, the Frenchman they tested yeah. as well, the young drivers test. Apparently there isn't enough, so, so. I think they could easily replace uh, Mark Webber with someone else. I, I think they quite like the setup there. I, I would imagine, I think that Weber will carry on next season and maybe the season afterwards, but I think it really is his decision when he wants to quit and not Red Bull's. Well, I'm getting annoyed with the older drivers. I really, want, I really just want them to go now. And I'm not talking about like, Weber maybe after next season I want him to go because he, he's a good driver, but they're denying the next talent and next generation of people who could possibly challenge uh, Vettel and Hamilton. Although, how much talent do you want? I mean, you, you, you want experience, not just young drivers all the time. Vet, uh, sorry, Weber obviously does a lot for the car and the technical aspect. If you bring in a young man, especially beside Vettel, who doesn't have that much experience on him, how, yeah, uh, like, is that going to benefit the I'm, team? I'm, I'm I looking, it won't. I'm looking, more team down the field. I'm looking more down the field and seeing Rubens Barrichello. He might be on his way. I mean... Yeah, he's a good driver and has been, but he's 40. And you got players... There's a difference between Barrichello, though, and Weber. Weber, who still has potentially four more years at the top of his game if he really puts in the effort. But we've seen that money means pretty much everything. That's why Pastor Maldonado's still got a seat at Williams. That's why he's going to be there next season. I'm sure some of these younger drivers can bring in money, but you've still got people like uh, Jano Trilli still in there. Yes, he brings good insight, but I'd still say Heike Kovalainen is the, is the number one driver there. You've got Rubens Barco probably on his way out. Michael Schumacher, who I just do not understand. Yes, he's there, wants to do something, but it's just an afterthought. I don't see this as being, a, this is not a memorable part of his career. I just don't, I won't remember Michael Schumacher at Mercedes GP. 
I remember Michael Schumacher when he was dominating in the uh, in the Ferrari. Just of course got, you will, though, because when Ferrari, he was winning everything. In the Mercedes, he doesn't have the car to compete. I mean, but you've got people like Adrian Sutil, possibly going to have to leave. Who may leave F1 or Nico Hulkenberg, who this time last year Sutil. was on pole at Brazil. Sutil will be at Williams. I, I, I would thought. like to see Barrichello there, but I think I think you're right. I think it'll be Sutil. From what I've heard, uh, the rest could be out of the seat as well. Just no, no, no. They like they're, they're actually happy with the. Uh, Force Indio uh, are going to rest in Hulkenberg. Yes. Yes. They, uh, Force Indio are too... too they, they like the rest of it. They like... Um, well, no, but uh, Vijay Malaysia, however you pronounce that name, I will never get it, um, wants to bring an Indian driver in, into the second seat, which is currently Paul Dresses. Yeah, he wants well, I don't think that will happen in the near future. It won't happen in the near future. There's no real decent no talent. talent out there. I'm sorry, they've got... Chandok, uh, perhaps, but he's not as good as the rest of them. Chandok and Narain Kartikeyan as your options. Uh-oh. Don't start Kartikeyan. Oh. That's what Did I mean. Did he finish on the podium in the US Grand Prix? You know that one where they all... No, that's that Thiago Montero. Kartikeyan. That was a great referee. Six cars on the track and he can't even finish the podium. Shambles. Although, Jordan and Minardi got a shed load of points. <laughs> yeah. I think that helped their season well, uh, very comfortably. I think that was four <laughs> points that Minardi had ever scored like since they had been creative just about. Their only other points were from Mark Webber. Yes, in 2002. Oh, yeah. yes. where 20 oh, yeah. cars got taken out in the first corner. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think they got a point. They got a point in 2000, didn't they? Um, off the top of my head, anyway. I think they've had the odd point here and there, but then they finished fifth and sixth and picked up a gazillion points. You're getting further than me on this one. The thing about that Grand Prix was that Toyota were on pole before they had to pull out. Is it, it truly? Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, just, it was in Bahrain, wasn't it? Oh no, sorry, oh. 2005 uh, US Grand Prix, you know, the one where everyone dropped out. I think they oh, yeah, did, didn't they? Cancel the session, didn't they? Yeah, no, 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 because what he did, uh, Trulli um, just put one lap of fuel in his car because he knew they were going to quit them the next day. That's what happens. <laughs> that sounds like something Trulli would do. Well, he was, he was a, he's a qualifying driver, he's not a race driver. As, as seen by the time when he actually had a sick car and he'd stick it at the front and then back everybody up in the longest traffic jam you'll ever see in F1 affectionately known as the Trulli train yeah it's a fact that when when people try to make uh, strategies or work out little different strategies because uh, I'm doing this I'm doing a topic on, on, on uh, pit strategies and uh, they would always take into account with the Trulli train that you'd lose so much time getting stuck behind Trulli I remember that I remember that being brought, um, talked about in, by Martin Brundle yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at Minardi now just to see if they've got any other points other than um... they might have got like odd points in the 90s or something like that but I don't think in... Tatsuyama got a few points for him in, nine, in the sort of 90s also I just like to point out you still haven't answered my question about who's the best of the rest apart from the UK oh yeah give us an we've got a bit of sidetracked <laughs> who, who is it come on give us an answer Al Jaswavi yeah and now we need Jacob's opinion 
Yeah, who is your best of the rest? Um, who's yours then, F1? Can we start... Do Mercedes count as the rest or not? No, that's what I was thinking. No. Otherwise I would have said Rosberg. But, yeah, that's um, what I was thinking. But, I was uh, kind of thinking. They're kind of in their own... They were sort of not nearly as fast as the top three, but much quicker than the rest, than the rest of the I'd probably say Suttle for simply because he beat Petrov on, on points in a car that's about the same speed as Renault. And it would I'm have been really not sure. There's not really been a standout driver in the, the lower order, have there? It's been all, all of them have done decent jobs. Suttle wasn't good. great in the first half of the season, but he definitely stepped it up in the second, which would yeah. kind of clinch it for me. He's been the most consistent since the halfway point. I'm trying to think through the new. I think Cabalan's been pretty quick. Cabalan's been pretty good. Cabalan has done a good job. Yeah. He's been constantly pushing the, the sort of the the other the other non new teams. Yeah, he got the second practice three times, didn't he? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's still very difficult when you don't have um, still very difficult when you don't have a point on the board to kind of establish yourself as the best rest driver. I mean, I think he deserves a seat higher up in yeah. future, but I don't I think, think I don't think he's quite he's, enough to be able to get himself. He's going to be a physical. He's going to be a physical. He's going to be very very good in midfield teams, but. You know, looking at McLaren, he struggled ridiculously. But he did come in as a rookie. Really? Yeah. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. No. He was racing for Renault beforehand. Yeah, yeah. I saw yeah. This season Renault, I thought so. Um, yeah, it was no, spot, I, I, I see him. Oh, I think. Uh, well, they're, what they're going to be next season, catering or something. They'll be one to watch next season. They've got a really good setup, so it could be, it could be quite they'll, interesting. They'll be pushing the Salbers if the Salbers aren't careful. Although until Adrian Newey comes into catering, I don't think he's going to win much anyway. Uh, no, no, no. He's pretty much the deciding factor if he's going to win the Constructors and Drivers <laughs> Championship at the moment. <laughs> Who is your Rookie of the Year? Considering there were three... No, sorry. Yeah, there were four, four rookies this year. That's why I was well, that. The rest of... Perez. Perez. Maldonado, also it's five. Yeah. The Bro- Dan Brosio and Ricciardo. 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 Out of those five, who is your rookie of the year? Oh, the rest of them, I've said over there. I don't think my worst of the year. I'll put Maldonado on that. It's fucking useless driving. Oh, sorry. Money gets <laughs> you everywhere. Sorry? Money gets you everywhere. Mm-hmm. Money gets you everywhere in Formula One, that's it why he's got to Well, he's sponsored by a country, then I think he's got a good shout. However, um, the sponsorship deal between the PDVSA, or whatever the, the oil company is that backed Maldonado, and Williams is currently under investigation by the Venezuelan government because uh, under the Venezuelan law, a, a sponsorship deal of that amount has to go through the government, which the government didn't give permission for. So, Maldonado uh, hasn't got the safe seat just yet. Well, he has got a contract. Yeah. yeah so, funding guys. Yeah, will, that, will they still have? Will, will that? Will they want that contract to stand though? If he's not bringing yeah, the money okay. in. If, if they if they lose it, then he goes as well because then he's got to find other funding, which he won't get because no one wants to support driver who isn't going to get points. They'll find someone else. They've got a long list of options of other drivers looking for seats. Hulkenberg. Still, yes, it's about money though, isn't it? Williams are struggling for money at the moment, so uh, that's why they keep slipping backwards. Yeah. They just can't find decent cars because they don't have the, the resources that everyone else has. 
probably the final thing to say about the Formula One season. Race of the year. Canada is a question. China. I'm probably leaning towards Canada as well, actually. I can't think of any other standout ones, but Spain was quite good. China. How could have all of that in China? Oh, no, 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 I know, Monaco. No, Monaco's my favourite race of the season. What even happened at Monaco? Oh, it was absolutely... Settle 50 awesome. laps on, on a super soft set of tyres. You had Vettel and Alonso and Button literally nose to tail for about eight laps. It's some of the most fantastic piece of racing I've ever seen. And I was just gutted that it came to a finish when it did, because of a technicality in the rules. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that now. Yeah. Uh, no, that was definitely my favourite. Yeah. No, I think it was Canada because I, I, n- I never used to respect Button as a driver because I thought he didn't do much and kind of fluked his way to a driver's title because he was in the right place at the right time. But I mean, that kind of... I gained a lot, lot of respect from there because he finally showed he can overtake a bit. I was never one of those people to underrate... Oh, sorry, uh, who said Button was overrated, but I did find Canada to be... His almost coming out party is a great driver with his comeback. So, I'm, am I the only one that thinks China then? Yep. Yep. I was China was a good race. It was a good race. It wasn't the best of the season, though. I mean, while the season itself was run away with one, wasn't very exciting. I think the separate races themselves were all. The results have been a bit dull, but the way that we got to the results is quite interesting. Bar- like, barring Valencia. How you and any other Herman Tilke design track, it was actually good. it was very good season. I knew, I knew as soon as the BBC got that Sky deal, I knew we were going to get Valencia. I was just knew it was going to yes, happen. We knew it was. We bought some about RCLs, watch the German coverage. Sorry. If you if you you should get a satellite and uh, watch RTL for the German coverage and just listen to Radio Five Live because they'll still be covering it live. True. Not watching German coverage. You don't have to watch it. You to, well, you have to watch it. You don't have to listen to it. Yeah, we love Michael Schumacher. Remember about Michael Schumacher? Oh, if you've ever wondered what it's like for other people to deal with Martin Brundle, then the German coverage is what you want to watch, from what I've seen. Why? I missed that. You put out that way first. I was, when I was on holiday in Greece, I was watching it on RTL, um, and Martin, and there, the, the, uh, the girl, the woman mm. who does it, was trying to get an interview... And literally, just all you see is Martin Brundle just on steamrolling past her and take the interview. <laughs> yes, that's what a good point, actually. It does happen. You, well, you know, fair enough. They all want to do it. And literally, they, they, just, they just roll their eyes. They roll their eyes and wait while Martin Brundle takes their interview time. Right. Oh, well, they get stuck in. Quite back, start a fight. Get your hammer. There you go. If they had a hammer, they would have been fine. Look, do you really think the BBC commentary team is lost to the sports? Oh, yeah, the BBC commentary team, different class, man. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think it's the commentary team. I think it's the people behind the scenes that put together all those videos. The videos are brilliant, but I, I don't like... I, I'm, I've never been a fan of Martin Bruntle and DC commentating. Yeah, I'm not a fan. And Eddie Jordan's analysis makes me cry. <laughs> Eddie Jordan is like that, that crazy old uncle. We all love him, but we don't really pay attention to his As opposed to RTL, who have Nicky Lauda the whole time. And he, he is brilliant. Um, I cover, yeah, I cover races. Nicky Lauda wear the same sort of shirts that EJ does. No, That's he wears proper part. clothes. <laughs> but EJ's yeah. shirts are an essential part of the coverage. He's, he's not in the Virgin Islands somewhere, so he doesn't wear strange clothes. <laughs> he also doesn't have to look That's to pull fun. it off. I mean, he does have half an ear missing because he got burnt in the car a lot alive. Yeah. 
Well, I said Nicky Lauda to you guys is probably what EJ is to us. Sorry. <laughs> Not really. Nicky Lauda is a good driver. Was EJ's owned a team for a while. That's a bit of a biased comparison, isn't it? Well, who won a driver's world driver's championship? Because you know, yeah. Jordan single-handedly won it. He traded chance for the '99 title. He was right in the mix of it to the very end. And that was a team that was what six years old, the same the same age as Red Bull. Are. And yeah, Red Bull have won too. Yes, but that's slightly different. They yes, Red Bull have a massive energy drink. Had considerably more money than Jordan did. <laughs> well, I can't really say much. He, he, he did. He did grow up about five miles from my house, so I can't really say all that much hey. against him. Eddie Jordan. Oh, okay. Born in Ireland. He's a bit of a macmo, but that's not. Oh, he's a, he's a, he's a quite a bit of a macmo. Yes. Just for it. That's part of the joys of it. But I, I do think they're a bit. Like, I mean, obviously, you're broadcasting for British television, but I do think it's a bit over the top how when Hamilton they're putting the win. It is suddenly the greatest rate. It is the greatest they've ever driven, and how they blew everybody out of the water. And you I know, it is like that. Oh, oh, that's, it is. That's been the situation for them for all of their wins because it's either been Vettel win or one of the McLaren drivers has done something extraordinary to steal the win. That's been that's the season story at the top, at the very top. So that's why you got you know Hamilton drove a blinder in China and in Abu Dhabi. Button drove a blinder in um, uh, Canada. Uh, fantastic, you know, most, I can't remember the other three off the top of my head, but those three examples, they're all brilliant racing for most two drivers. No, but like they always told, whenever, whenever a McLaren driver wins, it's like, oh yeah, it's, it was a dominant win, whereas when, when Vettel goes untouched, you hear, oh yeah, it was a good, it was a good race, whereas I, 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 I think this is a problem to BBC in every sport. They go, over, okay. they go overboard in how patriotic they are in comparison to uh, broadcasts from other countries. I mean, obviously, yes. Marsa is going to like is going to go. Oh yeah, we're in Spain, brilliant. But at the same time, that um, if um, if Vettel wins and Button comes second, they go, oh, wasn't Button good? Um, and but RTL did as well. Whereas if Button wins and Vettel finishes second, it was the most brilliant race from uh, from Button, and Vettel didn't come close. And that's one thing BBC has that nobody else, uh, no one else does. Not even no, no, can't still do that. Though. I think, as far as I know, when you listen to the Spanish stuff, because I went to, I went to the Spain Grand Prix a few years ago, and uh, I was watching the highlights, and as far as they're, they're concerned, it's Fernando Alonso and 23 other idiots, so... You know, it, I would expect bias in um, in the countries towards you know, teams, especially in McLaren, where there's two bits, I would expect the BBC to be slightly more biased towards McLaren. It's just nature. Right. I would still hope yes, and every team. country does that, but I think Britain does it the BBC does it more so than other broadcasters. Hmm. Like you don't even get the same kind of thing with Sky Sports covering England games. If yeah, England are getting comprehensively sport. beaten, you'll hear them say England are getting comprehensively beaten. Whereas, it, whereas if Hamilton has a bad race, you'll have excuses as to why it wasn't such a bad race for him after all, coming well, from the BBC. Football is slightly different though, because England are always losing. So they're always explaining how the rubbish England are. And how everything is wrong, and how everyone's overpaid in that. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't rate Sky covered in any. Did anyone go into be watching Race of Champions this weekend? What channel is it on? Assume <laughs> Sky. Well, well, no. Should we call this part of the podcast to a close?
Be- be- yeah, yeah, but before we finish our F1 podcast, we need our F1 Akmal of the season. Hamilton. <laughs> just Hamilton, it's just very existence. It's just Hamilton and everything he's done this year. See, I- I- I'd get to as a joint award. Yes, yes, I think I know what you're thinking of. Hamilton Massa. No, no. Massa was, Massa was a good driver who was victimised into Hamilton every a race. with a vendetta. Hamilton is the worst driver of the season, by far. Other than Pastor Maldonado. Maldonado is a pile of... Can we give it to Maldonado then? Um, give Can we it... give it to Trulli? Well, what about Martin Wish... What about Martin, Martin Whitmarsh for just being inept in interviews? He's alright in interviews, isn't he? But his job isn't really to give interviews, is it? It's to, like, run the team. It, well, we've got... We've got three possible outcomes of the season. Let's vote on them all. Martin Who are the three? Oh, the, the three, three are Martin Whitmarsh, Pastor Maldonado, and Lewis Hamilton. I vote Hamilton. Hamilton. Yeah, I vote Felipe Massa. Yeah, Felipe Massa with Hamilton. Three, has to be him. No. It has to be, has to no. be going to war Felipe Massa is a good driver victimised by a man with a vendetta. <laughs> Victimised by his team, more like, but that that doesn't mean his fault that Lewis Hamilton doesn't know how to pass. At some point, you think you know how to get round someone, like most other drivers on a bloody track do. Didn't Ham- didn't Massa also get a penalty for running to Hamilton though? Yeah. Massa got penalised unfairly by the douchebag stewards who gave decisions for, gave him out like candy. That's what Ali G says. <laughs> against Schumacher for no reason other than Schumacher forced him into a situation where he couldn't actually do much other than go they couldn't do much other than collide. All the commentators said racing incident. What happens? Stewards give Sutil a penalty. That was a bit Actually, like the Senna Schumacher incident. Senna, sorry, Senna, yes. Doesn't matter. Oh, okay. it's Senna. That was a bit silly. Yeah. Actually, I have an Akmal moment of the season. I've got my Akmal moment. Akmal moment? Okay. My, my Akmal moment was at the Hungary Grand Prix when Schumacher tried to ram Barrichello into the wall. Yep. Mine would be, be the McLaren mechanics oh. forgetting to put the tyre on button. Oh, button for driving into the wrong pits. <laughs> 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 yes! Yes! Okay. We have a winner. Akmal moment of the year goes to Jensen Button and his driving in the wrong pit stop. Are we all going to do separate Akmals of the season? I think we're going to have to. Yeah. I'm going to go with a joint award between Hamilton and Pastor Maldonado. Who's yours, Josie? I am going to go okay, a joint award between Hamilton and Massa for their inability to not be together at some point on, this, on the track. They're in love. Exactly. No, it's, no, it's, no. A, it's a symbiotic relationship. There's, you can't have one without the other because the cars are constantly together. <laughs> young well. I was the only one that found that funny, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Shawnee? Um, I'd kind of like to give it to Button for driving into the Red Bull pits, but I'm going to be all controversial and think about the bigger picture, and I'm going to give it to the steward's office for the numerous just mindless penalties they gave out over the year. Fair enough. Seems reasonable. I think, yeah. I think, I think 
the, the sort of agreement of silence says that all, really. Yeah. So, not really, as once again, they've been rather erratic this season, but... Uh, not allowing... Yeah, and I just have to tie myself onto Jawsy's one. Uh, Massa Hamilton, like, what, what more do you want? They've both been Akmals all season when they've been together, which has been most of the time. And if not, they're just whinging at each other afterwards. Well, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. It was in my way. And going to the other end of the spectrum, what's your moment of the season? Ooh. Mine is Button uh, passing Vettel at Canada. One of the only... One, uh, it's only the second time I've ever jumped out of my seat while watching F1. Can I have two? Alright. Um, first one is Mark Webber on Fernando Alonso around the outside of Elgaroo. That was my one. And the second one is Fernando Alonso around the outside of whoever it was at Brazil in turn five. Mm, that was not Button. Yeah. I think it was Button. Alonso yeah. on the outside of Button at Interlagos. They were two fantastic moves. True, true. Uh, F1, what's yours? Well, considering mine has now been taken, I'm going to have to say the Vettel overtake on Alonso on the grass at Mon- in Monza. But I think the Oru's one, I don't think that can be beaten. My my favourite moment of the season, going back to my favourite race of the season, Monaco, where you had Vettel and Alonso and Button nose to tail for eight laps straight. Some of the best racing I've ever seen. Well, alternatively, we could say it was when Eddie Jordan got thrown into the, to the swimming pool on the yes. Red Bull Park. Oh, no, even better than that. Even better than that, when DC got thrown into the swimming pool. And as soon as he realised, he clung onto the wall like nobody. <laughs> I can't go in, I've got white, I've got white trousers on, I'm holding a mic. <laughs> oh, you sounded more Scottish than you, you ever have. <laughs> yes, it finally happens. Anyway, I, I think we've just about summed up our F1 section of the podcast. So now that we've got F1 out of the way, we should probably start talking about the other stuff that happened this week. That might be the passing of uh, the Wales manager, Newcastle Everton. Okay, so we'll move on to uh, something else that's happened in the world of sport. Uh, the very sad story of the Wales manager and Leeds United legend, uh, Gary Speed, who um, sadly committed suicide um, at the weekend. Um, it's obviously a very sad event. Um, it looked as if he had so much to live for, but uh, obviously there was something not quite right there. Um, sad day for football. Any, anybody else got anything to add on that one? Yeah, I think it's a very... He's not just a Leeds legend, but also at Newcastle and Everton. Uh, as a Newcastle fan, he was one of the main midfielders I was growing up, uh, him alongside players Laurent Robert and Solano. He was just like the rock in midfield. But he also seemed to have a bright career as, uh, as a football manager. He seemed made out for the Wales job. They were in the best run of form for a long time. They were climbing up the rankings ever so slightly. Obviously, he's got a better team around him than they have in previous generations and probably when he was playing, but he was able to instill such a confidence. And also, it wasn't just the Wales, uh, the Welsh players as well. There was a lot of other players in football that he was very close to and was an idol to. And I think it's a very sad day for football to lose someone so young when they still had a lot more seemingly going for them. 
I mean, obviously, you can't know what's going on behind the scenes of that. And obviously, there's been lots of stuff in the news. A lot of people just don't understand it because um, he had such a, you know, he had such a great end going for him. But depression is a uh, funny and I assume I'm not saying I'm assuming it's depression. We don't know. I don't know the reason what happened, but these sort of mental illnesses or depression, that sort of thing. It's not. No one knows a lot about them because it's a very complicated thing. So obviously, it's a terrible thing. I really loved. Um, I really loved the story. It was at Swansea, wasn't it? Uh, and uh, they had a minute's silence, and that spontaneously turned into a minute's applause from Arthur. Yeah. A beautiful moment. That's uh, for all the rubbish that happens in football and all the silly little child games. You know, uh, that was and uniting, uniting in one moment. There, that was a beautiful thing to see. I also received uh, an 11 minutes of clapping at the Leeds game, during which time they actually scored. <laughs> Wow. That's very good. And also, uh, just some of the tributes were uh, amazing to see. Uh, Robbie Savage uh, did a radio show, which uh, was told was a very heart wrenching radio show. And at the end of it, him and uh, his co host for it in the tribute show just started breaking down crying. Robbie Savage is, has been, like, seemingly his best friend. and it's hitting very, very hard. Well, the the strange thing is, is where people, like, he was on Football Focus the day before, on the Saturday, and people, he said about Robbie Savage, he spoke to him on the phone the day before it happened, and everything seemed fine. It's, everything that happened just seemed so sudden, and it's, it's, it is hard to get your head around, because on the surface, it doesn't look as if there was anything to cause him to want to do what he did to himself. Yeah. Although we don't really know about his personal life. I mean, all we can kind of gauge is his public life, and obviously there's nothing really there. But you never know what's going on behind the scenes with a footballer. You, only, you can only see what's actually being presented in front of you. Hmm. Well, it's, it, it, I think it was a shock to everyone, just considering how, how sudden it was, considering he was on the rise as a manager he was on football focus it just seemed as as uh, so he said he, he seemed absolutely fine and then this happened I think it's quite shocking and it's but it's if it was no one really knows what it is at the moment but if it is if it is depression then it's clearly something that's hidden in football but a lot of people now I think going to take it more they're going to take it more seriously and a lot of stuff is happening to help raise support for depression at the moment. Because apparently that, that's what a lot of people think the cause for this was. Although I think um, we covered the loss last week with Baba Krafati, mm. um, the referee. And I think kind of, you have the same kind of pressures as a manager and anybody who's big in football. Like, you know, it is something that has to be looked at. And as I mentioned last week as well... Uh, uh, Robert Enke he committed suicide as well what was it, two years ago at this stage and I mean the Bundesliga tries to do a lot to kind of I, I don't know help players in that regard maybe that's from the Premiership, premiership and obviously the Welsh Football Board as well like any, everybody really has to take a look at it doesn't need to be a public thing as well that's something quite important it really doesn't need to be shown that publicly it's just something behind the scenes you know some sort of thing there no, but they've, kind of, they've kind of brought out uh, psychological analysis and that kind of thing 
and you know trying to help players be, uh, deal with the pressure. And I think that's something that every football association should try implement within their leagues and within their national team uh, between players and managers alike. Yeah, don't know if we need to cover any more on that. Really, so you guys did a lot of it last week. So yeah, yeah. We, we we said a lot about the stress and about last week and the pressures. But, but, I mean, I think it's, it's it's something it's something you have to kind of keep uh, keep an eye on, and. Uh, I think there's a lot of articles come come out recently on kind of Robbie Robbie sorry not Robbie Savage uh, about Gary Speed and just kind of the situation in general, uh, especially on the, on the BBC. I think a lot of those are worth reading and just see, kind of seeing what sportsmen have to deal with. Like, I mean, it is kind of a it is another warning call. And I think it's one that we need to you know be alert to and kind of re- and respond to. Obviously, it's not just cricket as well. Sport, sport generally. I mean, it's well documented. Marcus Tristopic, for example. And um, I think Matthew Hongard came up and said soon after the release of his book that um, during his final series he was suffering from depression and he just didn't want to be there. Well, sure. Um, um, after Michael Yardy came out, a lot of cricketers did say uh, with depression, a lot of cricketers yeah, did right. say they were at the limits. Yeah, that was Michael Yardy who said that. After Michael Yardy. Hmm. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's worth just to wrap that up with saying that our thoughts with Gary's family and friends. Yeah. Pretty much. Settles us rather nicely. Mm. Also, uh, in news from football uh, on the day of recording, which is uh, Friday, we've had the Euro 2012 groups announced to possibly the tournaments next year. Is it, have you all seen them? I know the England group. It's uh, England, Sweden, Ukraine, France, is it? Yeah. Yes, the one. Republic of Ireland, with the other team of major interest, have Spain, Italy, and Croatia. Which is a good tough luck. group. Good, good luck with that one, F1. So, this just. I, I can follow Germany, who are, who are also in the group of death with. Uh, yeah, you've got. That's a very. That's a ridiculous group in itself. For, Portugal, 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 Netherlands, and Croatia. Portugal. Sorry, Czech. No, sorry? It's Portugal. Sorry, Czech Republic. Germany. Denmark and Holland. Denmark, yes. Where am I going? Poland, do you say? Uh, no, Poland. is ridiculously... That's just ridiculous. Yeah, I think any Poland. kind of weak team in the competition has gone into Group A. Yeah, it's Poland, Greece, Russia and Czech Republic, of which the strongest team in there... Is Russia. Probably Russia, yeah. I mean, um, just having seen them from qualifying against Ireland, they do look a very solid... A solid unit, and they could cause a couple of upsets. Mm. But I mean, that that group, they should be walking out of it. I can like they'll, they'll struggle in the next round because they'll be playing either Germany or Netherlands, if I'm right. Or Portugal. Or Portugal. Or um, Denmark, even. Assuming I think they get through. Denmark could be a very surprise package. I would be surprised. You saw my, you know, my thoughts on Portugal in major tournaments from the other week. Even if, we were, if you, even if you were proved wrong, I wasn't proven wrong as such. Just more statistics didn't go in my favour. Exactly. They haven't played great though, so. No, they've not. They've not been very good. They kind of went through by the skin of their teeth in the quad, in the playoff round. Everyone thinks England have got a a difficult route, a difficult group, but. Realistically, a team of that calibre should be walking that that group England, if they have any ambition England, to win. England should top their group. But Ukraine they are, Ukraine are a difficult side, but they've not got 
many names. I think their star player is still Andrei Shoshenko. Sweden have a mixture of youth and older players, but they once again they don't look very. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? They look so much of a threat. I mean, England beat them recently, and it and France. It depends what mood they're in. Depends what mood. Really? Well, I'd be careful what you say about England because I mean they were expected to walk their group in the World Cup as well, and we all saw what happened there. Yeah. Seems to be kind of aura and pressure surrounding England team once they come to major tournaments. I mean they often qualify well and then just completely die out come the second well, I think, game. I think the England team is full of prima donnas. That's its problem is that they've got so much talent in there that they're all they're all picked up in their clubs as the big players. When you get all of them together, it just doesn't work. It's it's a team full of big players as opposed to a good team. Well, you start England start against France, which is uh, another team they had in the group when they last qualified back in 2000, 2004. They lost there, but that's that's the key game. If they win that, then they should be. They should good. be home and host, but you never know. Mm. Look, there's a difference between the World Cup and the Europeans. I mean, there's no weak team. Well, there are weak teams in Europe, but the ones that qualify, there are no weak teams. Yeah, there's some good, there's some good sides. Like look at Turkey. Turkey uh, made it to the semi-finals last time round. Like you've got good, very good teams that haven't qualified. It's not like the World Cup where you show up and can play Togo in the group stages. If you get to that yeah. state, if you're in the top 16 in the group stages, you will be playing good sides the whole time. Everybody can cause an upset. I mean, Spain showing. I mean, Spain, Spain showed it in the World Cup. They lost against Switzerland. There's no reason. Why you can't see um, uh, Ireland or Croatia throwing an upset in there? Um, I mean, even even Ukraine in England's group, you don't. There's no reason why they shouldn't be able to beat England. I mean, be they're all home. very good sides. Yeah, they'll be at home, so they have the advantage. What's the pitches like? Are they actual grass pitches or are they all? I think they're grass pitches. Synthetic. Don't quote me on that. I haven't actually looked at that. So that could that could be. Uh, a game changer as such. Don't they have to be grass pitches? No, they were uh, synthetic pitches in South Africa. Yeah. Oh. Some of them were. Yeah, I th- it does look too bad for England. It looks bad for the Republic of Ireland. I mean, I think the Republic of Ireland would have loved to have been in Group A, but can't have it all. They are, they are at the end of the day, they're in a big... A big European, it's a big international tournament. They've got to enjoy enjoy that moment, no matter what happens. Yeah, they can say they've done they've done more than Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland. Have, so. Well, Scotland should be there. Shouldn't be, it shouldn't be bloody Czech Republic. They got robbed. <laughs> <laughs> two ridiculous, two ridiculous decisions that, that went us going from something like two 0 up to two all against Czech, and then that's why they got them. It's also worth saying about um, Ireland. They also get quite a lot of like publicity from those. You know, all of their games are big games, so to speak. Yes. They're, they're going to get quite a lot of limelight anyway, even if they do, you know, finish back on their group. Well, so. Croatia is what they if they need to get a win against Croatia, and if they get that, then going into then then the other games, they. I mean, Italy have a couple of uninspiring players, and we saw over the summer that both teams went out with a full lineup, and Ireland came up one nil. And even the last qualifying campaign, when Italy even looked the stronger side than they do now, Ireland managed to get two draws from it. So it's not a game that they can't go can't go and win. And as we, as we all know, Spain always seems to throw one week game in there. 
And if that happens to be against Ireland, they do have the team to take advantage. I mean, Spain are the team that's going to score a lot of goals against you. So if you manage to stay solid and nab a, uh, nab a cheeky one, like you can, you can get through that group. It's going to be very difficult, but it's they not do, impossible. They do, they do start against Croatia, so that would be the obviously for them. That's their. That's where they're going to stamp their foot on the tournament if they can. Yeah, that, that's important. If they don't win that game, they will finish bottom of the table, table with zero points. Yeah. Like no space. Or they draw. Or they draw. Possibly. Well, if they draw, they're still not completely out because Croatia and Italy, that'll be a good game as well. Yeah. And Trapattoni's um, got an advantage knowing Italy so well. Especially with his current hatred of the Italian team. <laughs> I think this entire, the entire group stage, though, is summed up best by the Croatian boss Slavan Bilic, who, oh well, clearly he's ignoring Group A, but he's, he said, it is the cruelest sports championship you can't get easy opponents, which is... That's what you want, isn't it? Yeah. You, you don't get easy opponents. No. As I said, it's not like the World Cup when you can play Togo in the group stage. It's just not... Yeah. doesn't happen. Europe is a, is a continent that has 20-plus top-quality sides in it, and you're always going to see four or five that aren't going to qualify. Yeah. And it, we, we, Turkey haven't done it this year. Um, and, like, Ar- Ireland often have a decent side and don't get through... Well, uh, I mean, there's always going to be good teams that don't go through, and you always going to have a tough, tough game. One side lost out because Poland, and you, it's you, two groups, isn't it? One, there's uh, two hosts, so there's two teams have to go through. So another team lost out, if you know what I mean. So usually you only get one host, so. Another, no, but another but even even like 2004, uh, 2008, we saw England didn't qualify. I mean, that kind of shows the strength in depth that we have in uh, in European football. Yeah. Because England are a top quality side, regardless of what what you say, like, they, and they should be qualifying. But they they didn't, just, which just shows you how good other team sides must be. So, so just for something interesting, twelve of the sixteen finalists participated at the previous tournament. Of which, who didn't they? Apart from England and Ireland. Yeah, the four returning nations are England and Denmark. Denmark, wow. We're in 2004, but missed 2008. And Ukraine uh, making their debut. And with Ireland, first time since 1988. Yeah, first first uh, since... 20, first in 24 years, is it? So, yeah, 1988. Yeah, 1988. Stuttgart. Uh, well, I, I, was sitting there, I was sitting there in front of the telly, because um, England, England won the last two teams in the past. And I was just uh, sitting there praying that England would go into Ireland's group. Because there's two teams left, and one of them had to go into Ireland's group, and it was either England or um, Italy. Mm. And everybody here wants the England-Ireland uh, game just to get, see a repeat of uh, the wonderful wonderful win we got at a quick World Cup. Because <laughs> we, could, we could lose every game 8-0. We could lose against Spain 8-0, against Croatia 8-0. If we got a 1-0 against England, that would make up for everything, even if England won the tournament. And some of the teams we missed out, we won't have Serbia, who we can generally consider a good side. Montenegro, I have a couple of good players. And Turkey, obviously, with uh, Nuri Sahin, are a very solid uh, unit. Yeah, aren't in it, and they're, they're usually a very solid side. Sweden got through automatically, which is kind of annoying. How did they get through automatically? 
They finished second, but they got. Oh yeah, the highest, the highest ranked, sorry, oh, highest right. second finished player gets through automatically because of the two yeah. hosts. There was nine. There was nine. Uh, nine groups. I think, but one yeah. group automatically, so they could have four playoff matches. Yeah. yeah. Well, Scotland should have been playing in one of them. Not that I'm bitter anyway. <laughs> <laughs> really, we couldn't tell. No, definitely not. <laughs> The one game of football I watched and we got robbed. Very disappointing. I think, I think Czech Republic were given a penalty and then we weren't given a penalty. And neither of them should have. Both decisions were horrifically wrong. Finland might be there either. They still have Nick Arthur or something. Jeez. And he's 30. He still plays for, he plays for Leeds? Who's this? What's happening? Nick Arthur or he still plays? Yeah, he plays for Leeds. He's only 30. Really? Sure, he's like 89 at this stage. No, <laughs> he's one of the top scorers for uh, Finland in qualifying. Oh, wow. Actually, yeah. Finland's another. Finland and Norway are a few teams that are half decent. Yeah. Yeah. You are. Long standing. Uh, Scandinavia usually has a very good qualification. Not, they usually have one side and they've got Denmark and Sweden at the moment but they usually have Norway usually quite good is it John Crew and Abdelary tearing up up front it's still my favourite FIFA team because John Crew can't miss with the header <laughs> yeah it's very easy with John Crew isn't it punch it forward let him score yeah all he wants no but uh in terms of prediction, who would you say is going through each of the groups? From Group C, I think it's uh, Spain and Italy, in that order. I'd then say it was France-England from Group D. From Group A, Russia and... Poland, I wouldn't say. I think Poland, yeah. Home advantage. and play a big part. And I think... Poland might go to France. Holland, Germany. In that order, or actually Germany, Germany, Holland, Germany, Holland. Yeah, um, I, I, I think the international friendly about two weeks ago was it, um, whenever Ireland were qualifying. Germany played um, the Netherlands and came out three 0 victors. Never looked pushed uh, once during the game. I think that kind of sums up the level Germany have managed to achieve over the past two years since the World Cup. I agree. I agree completely, except for one, and I think that Croatia might just sneak past Italy. Could be cool. I would, I would say it's going to be a toss-up between the Netherlands and Portugal for Group B. With just sorry, with Germany qualifying, obviously, uh, and either the Netherlands or Portugal depends how their game goes. So it kind of it kind of depends because um, I think Netherlands have two strikers that are in unbelievable form. I mean, Klaas Klaas and Huntler hasn't been missing for Schalke all season. And we've all seen what Robin Van Persie's been doing for Arsenal. So I mean, they and obviously Schneider in midfield as well. They've been um, they've cracking side, whereas Portugal kind of rely on Ronaldo, and he doesn't really bring us major championships. And they str- struggle to qualify above that. So I think it's a bit difficult to call them out as potential qualifiers. They can cause an upset, but it will remain an upset. It won't be. Yeah, because they they were, they had this uh, similar to the World Cup where. 
they're, they're now in the Royal of Ivory Coast and that they've got trying they've got a good squad, they've just got to try and pull up against two better teams. So at the World Cup it was Brazil, Ivory Coast, Portugal and North Korea. And everyone everyone thought the Ivory Coast could could upset um Portugal and go through and that's what they've got to try and they've got to try and do that now to Germany or Holland. So should we move on to the Ackman of the week. We decided who it is yet. I don't think we have. Nor do I. I want to give it to the head of, whoever the head of selection is uh, at Cricket Australia while picking David Warner for a test match. <laughs> Although um, I think I think I have our Ackman of the week. How about the selection committee for the Sports Personality of the Year awards? Well. I understand. I understand the complaints about the sport personality shortlist that there are no women, and that's the point. But I think it's kind of just an anomaly because I mean, who? Not necessarily who would you chuck out, but who would you put in in their places? So we would, say, would, would, would we just say the top ten up? Uh, yeah. And nominees. Uh, we have Mark Cavendish for cycling, Darren Clark in golf, Ali Cook from cricket. Luke Donald from golf as well. Mo Farah from athletics. Di Green from athletics. Well, Mo Farah is like long distance runner. Di Green's hurdles, 400 meters. Amir Khan, uh, boxing. Rory McIlroy from golf. Andy Murray, uh, tennis. And then Andrew Strauss is the final one. Um, yes, for anyone not known, this is the BBC's Sport Personality of the Year, which they do every year. Yeah? Yes, every year. <laughs> Uh, just to reward the best sports people who have been on the BBC. I don't know. I can never work out if it's Brits or not. I assume it is. Just, it's just the uh, best British sports person, really. They do do an overseas one, don't they, usually? Yeah, it's not really yeah they do. That's what, that's what catches me out. Uh, Usain Bolt won it last year. I'm not sure. Yeah, they had Team of the Year, Coach of the Year, Overseas Sports Personality of the Year, Young Sports Personality of the Year, Lifetime Achievement, the Helen Rollison Award, oh, I'm not sure for that one, and Sports Unsung Hero. The the main the also the main one that they do it for is BBC Sports Personality of the Year, but they they have no uh, no women on the list. And that's where the big debate comes from. It's the big debate comes from because well, looking at Andy Murray, who's not done much this year, neither's Amir Khan, but. There have been players out there like uh, sorry not players. There've been athletes out there like uh, Sarah Stevenson, uh, the, the judo uh, world champion. Chrissy Wellington's won her won the Ironman again, the World yeah. Ironman World Championships for the fourth time. What what is that? Sorry for that, not knowing anything. But what what is that sport? Isn't it just like extreme triathlon? Really long triathlon. It is. Um, what's it? I think it's a five kilometer swim. Then a 140 kilometer cycle and a 42 kilometer run. You would have something to for the pencil to do that. Oh, uh, there's a there's a video. Um, I think it's the hard, um, the hardest, the hardest one like that. And there's two uh, women who've just finished an Ironman and they run up to the line and they literally crawl over um, the last 10 meters and takes them about five minutes uh, simply because they've just they have no energy left. Mm. They also have um, Tins and Button does it, I think. He yeah. just does normal triathlons. Oh, he's not just normal triathlons, I think. No, he's not crazy. 
<laughs> there haven't been. Mind you, you still have to be pretty crazy to do a triathlon. It's just very. It's a very controversial thing, though, because there hasn't. There have been people on them before. Obviously, next year will probably be different. What with the Olympics? Yeah. There will be very athletes oriented. So uh, you'll probably see uh, Ad- Rebecca Adlington, probably Jessica Ennis on there, but I don't think Annie Murray. Uh, he hasn't done much. I mean, no, until he will it. always be a failure until he wins that first Grand Slam. I mean, he has the potential and he just hasn't done it yet. And time is he, slipping away. He's well. I, I think not necessarily. He's had an amazing season, but you know, he's third in the world. You can't. Fourth. You can't just think of fourth. Well, he was third when he went to the Masters at the time, um, and he had a fantastic run in the later half of the season. He basically won everything in Asia. Obviously, yes. Obviously, he hasn't won a Grand Slam yet. But I don't, I don't, everyone seems to think he's had this sort of disaster season, and he really hasn't. He's got, what, three semi-finals and a final? That's very impressive, that's very consistent performance. It's very consistent, Actually. but it's not winning. Like, look at the rest of the people then, here. My argument is, who do you replace, my argument is, then, who do you replace uh, Andy Murray with? Well, it's not, it's not a... Um, a big sport. scale sport. It's not a big scale. It's not a big sport. That's the problem. You, should, you shouldn't base it on. Oh, it's not a big scale sport. That's not because there's not. That's because there's not enough TV coverage. I mean, you're not going to see. You don't see Judo on TV all the time, do you? You don't ever see it on TV. That's not its fault. It's just that there is this almost a, a set number of sports that seem to be classified as oh the top sports, which people well, like. The problem to watch. is if. if it haven't had okay. She won. You know, I'm giving full credit to to Sarah Stevenson for winning the judo award, the judo um, uh, world title, or whatever she won. Um, but if if it's not made huge news, then why why should it be considered something better than someone who has been one of the top four players tennis all year, incredibly consistently so? Because Andy Murray is the most boring man on the planet. <laughs> Coming from my very own Yorkshireman. Oh. Hey. He's got the personality of a paperclip. But anyway, you look at like you look at the rest of the uh, candidates, and they all they've all kind of done something big. Obviously, bar American like Mark Hamdish won a green jersey. Cook Cook was instrumental in the Ashes. And the World Championship. And the World Championship. Clark's won a major. McIlroy's won a major. Sprouse captained the Ashes. Mo Farad, obviously World Championship. I mean, they've all done something big. Um, Number one golfer in the world. Exactly, but what what what's Andy Murray done this year that's been spectacular well, and above his norm? He shouldn't he shouldn't get like you have to be particularly like he's not done anything this season that he hasn't done in season before. So why is he warranted to be on the sports personality of the year list? Oh. Mm. It's not really. It's not fair to uh, I think. To, I, mean, I think he should be exceptional, and Andy Murray, while he is exceptional. By his own standards, he has not been exceptional, so he should not be on that list. Whereas yeah. everybody else has been. Well, he has been unlucky that he's played in a year. He's had a year when Novak Djokovic has reigned supreme and had a, yeah, a, a an elite year. But it's well, I, I don't. I just don't think three semi-finals in the Grand Slams, three semi-finals in the final, followed by nineteen wins on the trot, is a bad season. It's not a bad season, but it's not. It's not exceptional by his standards, and that's what they should be looking for in this in this um, event. 
he's not a champion. Uh, I'm not saying restrict it only to champions, but when you've got someone who wins like the first uh, world championship for a tournament for Britain, probably pretty much ever, then they should be included over someone who's not done much. Same for Amir Khan. Amir Khan, once again, not done much. Has he not won a couple of titles this year? I'm sure Amir Khan gone up, won a title and then gone up weight or something like that. He's won. He's won two fights this year. Is that it? Yes. Yeah, he shouldn't be on there. <laughs> fact, I, I, I thought he'd won a title this year. That's why. He, unif- he had a unification fight at Light Welterweight. Ah, ah, and well. won that. He, he has done something, but he still hasn't done all that much. If you know it. He hasn't done enough this year. Like he, What he's done has been spectacular, but two fights in 12 months, again, isn't really the kind of material should be putting in this list. He's got some women that he could put in there. Uh... Well, previously mentioned Chrissy Wellington, who won her fourth Ironman Championship. She deserves to be there just for the sheer insanity of the event she does. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've got Carrie Ann Payne, who won, who's the first athlete to qualify for 2012 for Britain. She won the well, the 10k open swimming at the World Aquatic Championships. Well, battling, apparently she battled past jellyfish, sharks, and animal corpses. Nice. Well, that said, I mean, at the same time, it's a sports personality award. So surely she going to somebody who's successful and has personality. And some of the some of the sports don't really have the media attention to kind of fulfil that. Exactly. That's what I was trying. You know, that's what we're trying to say about uh, uh, all these other big sports where people are well championed. Full credit to them, but. Do they have the personality? Do they have the influence? I mean, look, um, great example is Amy Williams last year, who was, um, the, does the skeleton thing, which, which is not a sport you would normally consider to be a big, uh, a big personality well, sport. It depends sport. where you are, of course, with that one. Like, that, that's a big sport everywhere in Central Europe, just because we're, we're not in countries that have a lot of snowfall, that it doesn't have much uh, publicity. Didn't do much this year, but Jessica Ennis was... It's still a big name. It's still a big personality. Although she she definitely had to slip. Well, I'm going to say fall from grace, but she finished second. Um, but by her <laughs> high standards, that was a poor. She was poor this season by her standards. And I think yeah, I think next year. Let's go sum this up. Zoo and nuts get to vote on who is the sports personality of the year. Yet yeah. there are like specialist magazines orientated towards sport who don't get to. Nuts get a vote. Yeah? Are you serious? Yeah, Nuts and Zoo get to vote on who sport personnel. <laughs> I thought it, no, it was 37 selected magazines, wasn't it? Not? Yeah. And oh Nuts my and Zoo, god, Nuts that's right. one of them. Okay. Really? Well, I think they're reviewing the system anyway, so. Yeah. The system has been the same since 2006, and this is the first time that there's only really been any complaints about it, so. Yeah. I'm, I'm, and the complaints, and I can understand that there's a couple of people on the list that perhaps shouldn't be there. But there is every year. Ryan Giggs won it was it last year, two two years ago. Two years, he, years ago. He shouldn't really have ever won. Sure, won the last Sports personality. This, he, like, he was there more for his entire career than yeah. He should he should have been in the running for the lifetime achievement award, but he wasn't really the sports personality of that there, year. There were people on it. Look, you've got 
um, the BBC passed it down to editors, and you've got the Independent, the Evening Standard, the Metro, the People, the Daily Post, the Daily Star on Sunday, and Zoo and Nuts get to vote <laughs> who supports us in the years. Hello, who, who, who do you they... reckon will win us? Uh, it's Cavendish or Clark. Do you think? I, I think Cavendish Cav- 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 or Cook. I would say Cavendish. I, I, Cav- I, I think the cricket vote's going to get split, so Cook and Strauss has no chance. Clark, and if we learn the cricket vote for in golf, but Clark is the one that people will probably go for, considering what he went through before he finally won his first championship. Well, I think Mo Farah's going to shout because he he was so narrowly pipped in the 10,000 and then to come back in the 5,000 to win that and show he was the best in the world. Oh. Um, like, I, you know, it's, it's, one of those mov- it's one of those movie scenes you see somebody coming from nothing and getting everything. Um, like, I, I think I, I think it's definitely kind of what this uh, award is trying to portray. So I think he should, I, I think he should win us, but I don't think he will because it's a public vote. I think it'll be Cavendish. Mm. Yeah. I can't. Really. He certainly deserves it. Yes, he's Cavendish a big... or perhaps maybe Garoy? Yeah, actually, right. One of those two, because those are the two who've made, who've have, have had a big success in what you would call a big sport, in a, a, I don't want to say mainstream sport, you know, the, the ones that are largely dominated by the, by the back pages. I think that we learnt last year when Graham Swan finished a um, last of the ten nominations that, that not many people seem to vote for the cricketers. We've got two of them, and we've got even less chance. Yes, exactly. Um, I mean, they, both, I'm not saying they both don't deserve to be there, just that they're not going to get the vote. Let's be honest, it's, uh, it's going to be between the England men's cricket team and the England win- women's cricket team for Team of the Year. Um, so that's always one word for cricket. Um, so it doesn't help that uh, cricket is no longer on BBC. So I don't think a lot of people have a lot of reason to go onto the BBC website to look at a sports personality if they can't actually find their own sport in there. Crash your sky. Mm-hmm. No. Maybe is it not next year that they're trying to get uh, back to terrestrial the ashes? Yes, I think that is. Well, we just need to say the Akmar of the week because we didn't actually have a clear and definitive answer on that. We went into sports person every year. I should say it's a selection committee for that. I, I my Akmar's week is uh, Nuts magazine for selecting no women under <laughs> for not selecting a fit woman on the sports path, personality of the year shortlist. That should be their job. True, very true. So who, get, who, who gets that final of the week? Nuts Magazine. Uh, really? It's the oh, Fred, my, my vote goes with uh, with uh, Crooked Australia's head of uh, selection for picking Warner. Three, three, three debutants in uh, a um, for Australia in that test. Uh, Stark and Patterson are the other two, right? Yeah, Stark and Patterson. I like I like the way that a um, James Patterson's the brother of one-time England <laughs> test player Darren Patterson. 
Yes, I was wondering if there was a relation. Yeah, they're, they're brothers. Quality. <laughs> Hudson should have held out. He could have been it. Australia's star scene ball at the moment. Well, you know, if he, he's, if he quickly changes to um, bowling spin, he could always be Australia's next spinner. Well, they've only got, they've only got four bowlers in. Yeah, because they, uh, they haven't got Watson. Dropped. Is he dropped or is he injured? Injured. They've got loads of injuries. Yeah, injured. they've got Patterson, Siddle, Stark, Lyon, and even Hussey pulled a couple of overs. Uh, Hussey's not a bad part-time, though. They've got a lot of decent, half-decent part-timers in that squad. Yeah, get, get some of my donkey droppings on. Yeah, but <laughs> you can't simply get a couple of wickets. Four and over. Siddle wasn't playing too bad at all. 24 overs, 8 maidens, 2 for 57. You'd yeah. take those figures, wouldn't you? Well, considering you've got Stark on 20 overs, uh, 90 for 2, and Pattinson uh, 64 for 1 off 15. You take the fact that you've got someone bowling not at four balls and four balls and over, four runs and over. Sorry. Yeah, well, Siddle, Siddle's always been, I've always rated Siddle. I think he was a, he's always been a, a good workhorse for for Australia, especially yeah, I, going through the sort of transitional phase that they're going through at the moment. Yeah, he's gonna, he's going to have to be the bowler that carries them. If he at can. the moment, because who there are the decent ones? You've got um, Harris, who's always injured. Um, Johnson, who is an all-rounder, not a bowler. Cummins, looks good. Cummins, he looks right. Again, I'm thinking more sort of uh, seniors, seniors, uh, players with a bit of experience. So there's lots of good young talent. Dougie Bollinger. Dougie Bollinger. <laughs> true, true, actually, he's Bollinger. He's a, he's a, but again, he's similar That's to the Siddharth. So, I saw a couple of the ages, though, yesterday. Other than the, the, the middle order at the moment is... Not too, uh, not too sprightly. Oh yeah, you've got Ponting, Hussey and Clark, haven't you? Ponce, Ponting, Hussey, Clark and Haddon. Uh, all mid-30s. <laughs> Just having a look, it's stuck. Funny enough, we, we were having a go at Ponting, saying he used, lost his touch last week. He's currently 67, not out overnight. This is, yeah, remember this, this... This match will probably be over by this point, in which case he's probably got a golden duck in the next innings for all we know, knowing our luck. Uh, what, what we, we should do is we should try and cover like, both options. So you say about just getting golden duck, and then yeah. ask someone saying about, oh, Ricky Ponting, what a fantastic triple hundred that was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, he, he did steady shift last week, uh, the week against South Africa um, in the second innings, so he wasn't all all bad well to be fair there's not much looking at the cricket on at the moment that's probably the only match many people uh, will focus on Bangladesh versus Pakistan which looks to be uh, another quick whitewash series there Bangladesh a bit of a snooze fest Ooh, as well hang on all out for 91 sorry do you not watch the India West Indies movie then oh no didn't uh, Ramble at number 10 got hit 88 off 60 yeah, yeah I, I, I didn't watch it. I saw the scores and just... That was Absolutely. Moment. The bowlers are better. Oh, yeah, he did, didn't he? I missed that. Uh, yeah, I just, I just want to go back to that. Dan, Dan Tari, the New Zealand's go-to man since 1886, <laughs> um, 
was got 96 and was run out on 96. And scored all pretty much the top order by himself. Yeah, he's, he's, he's never made a test. He's never made a test century against Australia before as well. Uh. But it was Matt Custer that run him out, so you can guarantee that it's probably a good bit of fielding that did it. Other than Brownlee's not is Brownlee an all rounder or is he? Is he a bowler? I don't know. Hang on, I'll cook him for him. Oh no, I think he is. I think he is. I think he's a the batsman, but batsman part time. Yeah, because he's got a first class average of fifty two with the bat. And uh, yeah, he's a batsman. He's got he's, yeah, he's got he's first, seven, class, first class seven. average. That was his first wicket. That was his first first class wicket that he took. I don't know who did he get. Seventy-seven, and then other than him, uh, Vittori outscored the top five all on his own. So he continues to prove why he's the go-to guy. I wouldn't want New Zealand. And they're another team, on paper, do you think they could score so many more runs than they actually do? Well, they've got Brendan McCullum. Who, yeah. Pretty decent. But, but you look at that, people like Guptill, Williamson, Taylor. Ryder. Reader. <laughs> they've not got too bad team, but it's just Vittori seems to be, wants to do everything. He can't bowl much great spin, but... He, he loves a bit of a bat at the moment. I think he, I think he opened the bowling as well himself. Yeah. Crazy man. Not captain anymore, but he still wants the attention. Yeah. Brendan McCollum isn't the wicketkeeper anymore. No, he's not. He's not a good fielder either. He's not good enough batsman either to make the side on merit. I don't think. Oh. No, he sort of made sense. He makes it in like a limited overs game, a sort of that like pinch hitting wicketkeeper opener, but. In the test game, in the when test, he's not. I don't, I don't understand why he's there. Are there better options? There must be. Like he's not. <laughs> well, I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be uh, telling the truth if I said I knew a lot about uh, New Zealand domestic cricket. Yeah. I mean. The guy's got a 36 average what about at test, which isn't really good enough. What about Ingram? Oh yeah, no, he's um, he's South Africa, isn't he? Ingram. No, no, no. I'm sure he's a New Zealand one. Peter, Peter Ingram. No, oh, different one. Okay. There's definitely an Ingram who opens for South Africa in the one days. Uh, so no, no, no. Scratch Peter Ingram. He's played two Test matches and he's averaged 15. He averages he averages nearly 40 in first class cricket. Not bad. Not bad for Peter. I mean, you don't, it depends how the different teams require different roles of them. I think um, I'm just you need to do a bit of depth in batting. So. Well, the, the guy that they've got keeping is quite a, um, a late, later merger. Um, he's 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 played. This is his third Test match, and he's currently 32. So good, good on him. Which I don't see why you don't keep playing McCullum behind the stumps. I mean, he's not, he's not horrific. He's not brilliant. But if nobody else come in, nobody young to come in, you might as well keep him there because he doesn't really deserve a place as a batsman. And you can bring another batsman instead of him if you keep him playing as playing as a keeper. 
So it's just doing the best with, with what you've got, and they don't seem to have a lot at the moment, which is why they're... I think they're ranked the worst... Uh, one of the worst test nations, if you don't really include... Zimbabwe and Bangladesh. Zimbabwe and Bangladesh, yeah. I don't think Zimbabwe have played enough yet to just really judge them. So, yeah, we are, we are all like Zimbabwe sympathisers on this podcast, though, so there's, a, there's always a bit of bias going on there. Jump to the defence of my uh, favourite non-Scottish team. Who's that? Is it Zimbabwe? Henry Alonga. I think it's about time that we mentioned Henry Alonga and his yes. uh, star-studded music career. He'll <laughs> never be as good, as, big as a star as A.D. de Villiers. <laughs> have, have you ever heard Brett Lee's song? I, I haven't, no, but I know I know. the name of his band is Six and Out, isn't it? Something like that, yes. That's, uh, that's horrific. All there. Just type in Brett Lee's song into YouTube and have a listen uh, and and then turn it off to protect your ears. <laughs> oh, I was going to say if it's any good, we could perhaps have it as our theme tune, but maybe, maybe not. We well, you know no. what our theme tune is. It's us all singing. Uh, Epic sax guy. Yeah. I was. I say I thought the second uh, indie uh, West Indies game was quite good, but uh, in the West Indies once again have got the habit of getting very close to winning without actually getting the results. While being terribly mean. They're not a good side. They get, they're better. They're a lot better than they have been. They've got some good oh, talent. Re- I can't watch them. They're horrific. <laughs> uh, you know, Kimar Roach is a very good player. It's um, like watching Pakistan during the 2010 series of England. You, I sat there and nearly cried because of what I was seeing in front of me. I could do a better job than some of that. That by Sydney seemed good. Ooh. Controversial comments. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, he's could do a better job on stick cricket than they could. Sure, sure. Well, again, West Indies are again a rebuilding sort of phase. They've got a lot of good young talent. They've got uh, Barath and Braithwaite, who are two very talented young openers. They've all got, they've both got runs against India in uh, the Test cricket. Danny Bashu, who I think is like possibly one of the best named cricketers in the world. They've got a good bowling lineup actually. It's more that the batting has got no no depth in the middle order. That's largely where their problem is at the moment. We've got that Russell kid who was very good in the uh, World Cup, I think it was. Uh, so Roach and Rample were decent seniors. No Sullivan Ben though. Our, our six foot off spinner. So no, it's all, it's all about Danny Bashir and his leggies now. How times have changed. Yeah. Sullivan Ben was. Had a bit of an attitude problem anyway, didn't he? I think so. Yeah, I think he didn't he have to get his action remodeled or something. There was one bowler that had to do that. I can't know. I don't know. But uh, what about the Indian side? Uh, no, Dhoni. What's Dhoni doing? Not there. He's he's. As soon as you say India, I think Dhoni. They might have realised he was terrible. He's not terrible. Oh, he's he, he, he's, he's, he's an horrific quicker keeper. He's, he's, I've seen worse. <laughs> 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 uh, he's a very good captain, a very a very sensible head on what is a pretty bonkers uh, fan base. They are, yeah, they are but he, he's a good captain, but he's not a great player. 
Um, I he's think no he's rifle a, draft. Overs batsman. Yeah, but he's not a test batsman. No. And who cares how good you were at limited overs cricket? It doesn't matter. We said, last week, we said last week that uh, limited overs cricket is dying at death anyway. So, it's dying at death. It's the proper depressing. Yes, um, it, yes. And, uh, in the knowledge that that subject has been covered, uh, there was two, uh, it was Virat Kohli and Rohit Sharma, who are probably the future of Indian batsmen, who more or less carried the whole innings for them. So Kohli got 117 and Sharma got 90 not outs. They both batted very well. Does that mean does that mean we've now got a one day series where we're all gonna to have to be like we're all gonna to have to pretend that Sirius Rayner's pitch fixing is very good. <laughs> well so Rayner was out for a first baller. I don't think I've ever seen that for a first baller before. And he bowled one over for three, so he didn't really do much. He's I don't think he's a he's not a test match player. No, he isn't. Well, when he was, uh, considering the fact he was pretty much uh, India's best spinner in, our, in the series against England, that, that had you concern for them. And we're not going to drop that one until they cut their toe again, are we? No. Trader, hmm, he was the best spinner when he came round here. <laughs> he did, he actually ended up with a better average than Singh. He did. Uh, <laughs> just to prove a point where people were saying about how we can't play spin. I pulled the stats, and I think it was um, Swan averaged 40 in the series. Then you had a um, you had Rayner averaging about 70, and the next one was Amit Mishra, who averaged about 110. <laughs> so it was a seamless it was a seamless series. Yeah, Swan did his job. Just do us a favour and prod Brad, uh, prod all the listeners that are listen- that have now fallen asleep after I came out with all the stats. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I think we'll leave it there. Um, Thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, Remember to like us on Facebook. Podcast. Uh, We hope you enjoyed this. We should see you next week. Uh, And also, just to thank uh, F1. Thank you very much. We'd also like to thank Jawsy. Right, cheers. Uh, And Shawnee. Thank you. We hope to see you next week for another episode. We don't yet. Yeah. We need to we need to thank Nuke first. Oh. Hey. Thank you. No problem. Thank Could you, you Nuke.